You are. 
you gave your body was broken your love poured out you bled and you died for me there on the cross you breathed your last as you were crucified you gave it all for me Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, King forever. We thank you for the cross. There in the ground, sealed in the darkness, lifeless laid. The frame of the Father's Son in agony. He watched His only Son be sacrificed. Yes, He gave it all for me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Hallelujah, King forever. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for 
Father, those words are both our claim of truth this morning, Lord, and our hope. You have made us white as snow. Lord, you have taken the things that we have done. You have forgiven us. And you've thrown those things as far away from you, as your word says, as the east is from the west. Thank you. Thank you doesn't say it enough, but Lord, thank you this morning for who we are, for what we have because of you. Lord, for the joy and the hope and the love that we know this morning because of your love for us. God, as we look around this room, as we shake hands and hug necks, as we lift our voices together, God, none of this would be possible this morning if it wasn't for you. And so, Father, we just want to say thank you in the best way we know how. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, as we know that your spirit is here with us this morning, as we feel your presence here today, Lord, we just ask you to continue to pour yourself out on us, to speak to us where we need you the most. Lord, we stand in the midst of people who love you and who love us, but Lord, we all come in here today with things that are frustrating, with things that hurt. Lord, with things that are deep inside of us. Lord, just as you have made us white as snow, Lord, speak to us this morning in the deepest parts of who we are. Your love knows no bounds today. Father, we want to claim that this morning. We want your love to apply itself to every single part of who we are. As we hear your word, Lord, as it's presented to us by Pastor Brian, be with us now as we continue, Lord, to just simply sit and bask in your presence. Allow us to take it all in. Allow us to hear you this morning. It's your name. We thank you and praise you. Amen. We are glad you've chosen to come and worship with us this morning. Excited about what God is doing, and we're going to wrap up our conversation today we've been having for the last month on this theme of, of covenant and what it is, what it isn't. Hopefully God has been revealing himself to you and maybe you read his word a little differently now. Hopefully you begin to see things that have always been there that maybe we've missed out on in the past. But the word covenant is introduced to us, the theme of covenant is introduced to scripture in Genesis chapter 15. And we know Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is uh, where we see God uh, lovingly choose to create and he, he creates heavens and the earth and light and dark and creates uh, plants and gets to the seventh day and he creates us and he, our, our creator created us so that we could enjoy this creation that he just made so that we could fellowship with him so that we could uh, enjoy life with him so that we could bring him glory uh, that, that, that was our purpose that was his purpose of creating us in the garden so that we could share in who he was and at the same time, bring him a little bit of joy and happiness along the way. And gave Adam and Eve some boundaries in the garden. We talked about how that didn't go too well. Adam and Eve chose their own way, and they rebelled against God, and sin entered the world, and God had to come down. There was, there was a consequence to that sin, and, and we see the first covenant that God would make. He makes with Adam, and he promises Adam and Eve and, and to the serpent, to Satan, that, that I'm going to send enmity in between you and my creation, and I've got this plan now. Because you couldn't follow the boundaries. You couldn't uh, do what I wanted you to do. Now I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And I'm going to make sure this is going to happen. And we, we see things progress through Genesis. And we come to a man named Abram or, or Abraham, as many of us are better, better know him as. But before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And in Genesis 15, God comes to Abram and he invites Abram to, to follow after him. And, 
And Abram, for some reason, obeys. And in Genesis 15, we see this vision, this dream, if you will, that Abram has that, in essence, for us is the first real exposure, if you will, to what covenant looks like in Scripture. And there's this path that's created through the cutting of animals that God asked Abram to bring. And, of course, the cutting of animals is going to lead to quite a mess. And so we call this the blood path. And Abram falls into a deep sleep, and God visually walks the blood path, walks this covenant path, indicating to Abram, says, I am going to be with you. I'm making a commitment to you. I'm going to follow this through. We, we learn that the steps of the covenant in, involve uh, the, the sharing, if you will, of clothes, the sharing of rings, the sharing of weapons, the sharing of names, the sharing of a meal. And we see a lot of the elements of covenant actually used today and the closest thing that we have in our culture to covenant is that that is of marriage. The bride walks down the aisle. There, there's an aisle that she walks, walks down the path. They come together and they, they, the sharing of names. Uh, they, they talk about how they're making a vows to one another. They're committing your lives where the two are now becoming one. We, we see when they go to the reception, there's this cutting of cake and they feed one another. And all of these are elements that would have been seen in a covenant ceremony, not quite the same way as we might celebrate it today. But those are expressions of covenant that we take out of Genesis chapter 15 that Abram would have been very familiar with. So God shows up in Abram's life and enters into this commitment to him in a way that Abram would have understood. One of the most significant parts of the covenant ceremony was the cutting. The covenant itself, by, by definition, means to cut. And there would be a cutting of your hand or, or a part of your arm, and that cut would leave a scar. And the, your covenant partner would have the same scar, and there would be this joining of hands together, this intermingling of blood, if you will, coming blood brothers, literally. Your enemies would be shared. Uh, you, you would share resources. You would protect and help one another. If you saw someone on a far distance hill and you didn't recognize them, you would hold up your hand as if to show off your scar. To let those know that, hey, I'm your partner, I'm your friend, we're, we're not enemies. Today we use that to say hello. We, we see these traditions continue to be lived out in, in our lives thousands of years later, this continuation of covenant. But then Jesus shows up several thousand years later and shows us a new kind of cut, a new type of scar. Continuation, if you will, of the covenant that God made to Abram. It was first introduced to us in Genesis with Adam. See, God is faithful. And while it doesn't always work or happen in our timing, God does what he says he will do. And, and that's the takeaway, is that he's going to continue to be who he is. And for some reason, he loves us so deeply, he, he bears with us. We talked about the word abiding. We'll come back to abide later today, where he tolerates us in a transitive sense to get us to come back to this invitation that he offers to us. This opportunity to walk and to live the covenant with him. In our culture today, let's just be honest for a few moments. Commitments aren't what they used to be. They're just not. Uh, we, we try to find excuses. We try to find ways out if they don't measure up to how we want them to look or if it requires or asks too much of us or if the return is not what we thought it would be. We try to break covenant. We try to break agreements. But God never tries to get out of his covenant with us. And I know myself, and I'm just speaking for myself, he should. I'm not worth it. 
I've messed up too many times. I know what my limitations are. I know what my flaws are. Why would God do that for me? And in that, we see the depths of our, depth of our creator's love. It just passes and surpasses all comprehension that we might have. God offers us protection. He offers us provision. He says to Abram in Genesis 15, I am your shield. I'm your protector. I, I'm your very great reward. I'm your provider. He would go to, on to share his name with Abram, and Abram would become Abraham. God would give Abraham a dream that surpassed any that he could even hope for. A family, a son. And, and, and the promise that his son would, his family would grow and his lineage would be as many as the stars in the sky. But it all began with a choice. Abram was given a choice. God chose to enter into covenant with Abram, but Abram still had to choose God. And we still have a choice even yet today. God shows us and he reminds us of covenant and Jesus continues to remind us of covenant and to tell us, I am faithful. I will keep my commitment. I will keep my side of the covenant. Stay with me. Stay connected to me. Don't get off track. Don't allow yourself to drift. Don't let the world grab a hold of you. I'm right here. For those that might be searching today or wondering, is God here? Is he listening? Is he real? Yes. He's never moved. He's just trying to get our attention. He, he uses different methods and different ways and different people to get our attention. But God has not moved. When I was a teenager, I had a friend. And, and, and very seriously, I, I literally had to walk uphill both ways to and from the bus stop every day. It was a hill. I had to walk up and down. So there was a down part too each way. And it was about a half mile walk. And my neighbor, Josh, we, we would walk it. Uh, we wouldn't typically walk in the morning because I would always get there in time and he'd be coming running down the hill to catch the bus on time. But we would walk home together. And one day walking home, he says, Brian, my brother just got into this thing called rappelling. And he's been teaching me how to do it. Would you like to go rappelling? And I'm thinking, Josh, I know you. No way. It isn't happening. But he kept on me. He, he, he went a couple times. He says, you've really got to come. This is a lot of fun. You're really going to enjoy it. And so we, we decide, okay, okay, but I don't really don't want to go too far. Let, let's keep it simple. And, and behind my house, a few hundred yards up in the woods, there was this cliff. And uh, we decided that's where we were going to go and repel. And we, we, we tied off the main rope to the tree. And it was, he said it was secure. And he weighed about 100 pounds more than me. So if he felt good about it, then I felt I was okay. It wasn't going to be a problem. And we were doing this a couple times, and it was a lot of fun. There was an outcropping of rocks, and if you jumped off the rock, there was kind of this free fall, and you could just kind of dangle and swing and you know, go run back and forth on the side of the cliff. And it was a lot of fun, and we, got, we were getting really be good and comfortable at this. One day, I became a little too comfortable at it. Because I had my harness on, and I, I hooked up my figure eight to my harness, and, or to the rope, and I had my carabiner on my harness, and I leaned back. We got to this place that's called the point of no return. Basically, what that meant is that we leaned back to a certain place, and Josh couldn't help me, and I couldn't help him. We were on our own. And I leaned back, and I was getting ready to jump, and I looked down, <clears throat> excuse me, right before I jumped, and I realized the rope was not hooked to my harness. And all of a sudden, this cliff of, of what looked to be 75 feet, it was actually 25 feet, but in that moment, it looked to be 75 feet, and all I could see is myself going off the high dive and going head first into the rocks below. Lord, what do I do? And at that point, all you could do is either try to climb down the rope or to pull yourself up enough with your own strength to reattach your harness to the rope. 
Too often, church, that's what happens to us. We start out following and walking with God, and we're connected to the rope, and we're doing things just the way he wants us to do. And then we get too comfortable. And we get a little careless. And the world gets our attention, or we start to drift. And I lean back, or we lean back, and we're at the point of no return, and we realize we're not connected to the rope. And our hope in that moment is that we've got enough strength to pull ourselves back up to reconnect to the one who has not moved. The rope didn't go anywhere. I was the one who'd moved. I was the one who had put myself in this position. I wasn't connected. So we see God's covenant to Adam, to Abraham, to Moses, and David. Then Jesus shows up, the one who would fulfill ultimately the covenant. We see in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. I will make you to be a covenant. And Isaiah, the prophet, is talking about Jesus. I will make you to be a covenant and a light to the Gentiles. That's you and me. We are Gentiles. It was foretold through the prophets that Jesus would be the covenant. He would be the one who would keep us glued together. He would keep us connected. But curiously, when Jesus shows up, when he was finally born a thousand years later, we don't see or hear Jesus succinctly or distinctly talk about covenant. It's not a theme that he really addresses. You you would think it would, but yet he doesn't even use the word covenant until he's sharing it in the Last Supper with his disciples. Reading the Gospel of Luke, verses Chapter 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Go all the way back to Isaiah. I will make you to be a covenant. Jesus, right before he's to go to the cross, says, I now am the new covenant. You're going to find commitment. You're going to find connection through me. And I'm left with wondering, though, why? Why doesn't he talk more about it? Why doesn't he explain something that's so profound? Why doesn't, doesn't this topic of covenant that we hear a lot about Scripture, why isn't it explained to us in more detail if it's that important? I think the why is found in the significance of what Jesus came to do or fulfill. If we think about it, this was the news. This was the reason he came. This was incredibly profound. It was life, world, even creation changing. Even, even when right in front of people's eyes, most people missed it. They missed it. They didn't want to choose it. They didn't want to give up on it. So we look at it as perhaps as God trying to keep something from us, but it's not that at all. It's a secret that is so significant that he wants us to look and to dig and to discover and to understand. Psalm chapter 25, verse 14. In the, in the amplified version of Scripture, we read, the secret of the wise counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will let them know his covenant and reveal to them through his word its deep inner meaning. It's not a secret that you have to be a member in order to discover, but it's one that when you are in covenant with him, he shows us what it looks like. It begins with us choosing. Our God lovingly, who lovingly created us, created us with the ability to choose. That is something that's distinctly Arminian and Wesleyan. And that God is a lot of things in Scripture. He is omniscient. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He, he is our great physician. He is our provider. He is our healer. And he is all of those things. But we believe in the Church of Nazarene that God is above all of these things. Most of all, first of all, God is love. 
And because love is, is the thing that God is, Scripture tells us that God is love, love's at the top of the list. Everything under that is impacted by our understanding of love. Is he sovereign? Yes, he's a sovereign, but sovereignty is understood in the context of love. Is he omniscient and powerful? Yes, but it's understood under the umbrella of love. Love becomes the thing that helps us understand God in a way that makes his word, I believe, more clear. Here's what that looks like. He creates us so we could discover who he is. But in, in this part of discovery, because he loves us, he lets us choose. Free will has to be part of the conversation. Otherwise, it's not truly love. Love has to be first. So he lets us decide. He doesn't make us follow after him. He doesn't make us choose him. But he wants us to choose him. But he loves us enough to let us make that decision. Just like as parents, we want our children to choose what's right. We want them to be respectful. They, they want, we want them to follow after our teachings. And we can make them for a season. But there does come a point in time where we realize they're going to have to make a choice for themselves. God allows us the same room to make that choice. Do we love him the way that he loves us? Now, this choice and connection, it, it becomes more clear to us when we read in the one passage of Scripture that very clearly Jesus talks to us about covenant. John chapter 15, it, it's a passage, if you will, a teaching. I wouldn't actually call it a parable, but it is kind of a parable. It's something they would have understood. Where Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he trims, he cleans, according to the Greek translation. So it'll be even more fruitful. The idea is not just to be fruitful, but to allow God to shape and create us in such a way that we become even more fruitful, fulfilling his purpose for us. I am the vine, Jesus says. God's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me. And what we see in, in this verse is this invitation to covenant. Jesus is the vine. He invites us to be a branch. Verse 4, he says, remain in me and I also in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We see in this verse, we see the word used four times, this word remain. Depending on the translation scripture you use, you may see the word abide. You may see the phrase stay. Jesus is saying, stay here. I've not moved. I am the vine. I, I am rooted. I'm not going anywhere. And off of me, the vine are branches. If you remain in me, you become a branch, an extension of what it is that we're trying to do in this world. But he says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must stay connected to the vine. And if we look a little deeper, we see in this word, this word abide. We talked about abiding a few weeks ago. It's a Greek word, minnow. And minnow, in an intransitive usage of this verb, speaks to location. And we talked about the significance of intransitive and transitive, and I'm not going to bore you with that today. But, but there's no object in, in, to this verb. So the, in this implication, it's, it's, it's about location. Jesus is saying, don't move. Stay here. And if you stay here, this is where I am. So I'm, I'm, if you stay here, then I'm already here, and I'm going to remain in you. If you stay here, then you're connected to the vine. If you stay here, you're fruitful. And that's ultimately what God wants. Verses 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. So here we see what happens to branches that aren't a part of the vine. And to think about that for a moment, a branch is to bear fruit, to produce fruit. And if you're not producing fruit, Jesus tells us, that then you are separated from the vine. Or if you choose to be separated from the vine, you just become a branch. And a branch that's not connected to the vine, we call sticks. And sticks that dry up and, and, and get hard and dry out, we know what they're best used for is kindling, firewood. So scripture tells us they're thrown in the fire and burned. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. Seven and eight, you remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Oh, we like that verse, don't we? Thank you, Jesus. Ask for whatever we want and it'll be done for us. See, we, we like to pick that part out of the middle. That part looks great. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. But that part doesn't come true unless you read the first part. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, now ask for whatever you want. Because Jesus knows in the remaining, the things we ask for change. If his words remain in us, then he knows our hearts change. The things that we desire become the things that he desires. If he's already desiring them, He's going to do what it is that needs to be done. The remaining is so critical. Our problem with misunderstanding that verse is we ask for whatever we wish when we've stopped remaining. And then we get mad because God doesn't give us what he wanted. or So his word's not really true. Or he doesn't really keep his promises after all. Yes, he does. But we've got to ask within the context of covenant. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This is why you're created. This is why we lovingly shaped you to be a branch, to be part of what we're doing, to bring glory to God, to be fruitful. And Jesus says, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves to be one who follows after me. And it all comes down to staying connected. Making sure my harness is attached to the rope. Am I fruitful? That's the measure. What does it mean to be fruitful? And here we run into this tricky part of, of faith in church. See, we've gotten really good at moving the goalposts. And what I mean by that is we like to change the standards. See, we can say, am I fruitful? And we can read what it means to be fruitful in God's word. And we can say, oh, that's just too hard. God shouldn't be asking me to do that. That makes me uncomfortable. That's going to cost too much. Does he really want me to do that? And the answer is most often, church, yes. But to make it easier on ourselves, we either move closer to the goalposts, we, we widen the goalposts, we make the measure different. The problem with that is those aren't our goalposts to be moving. They're, they're not our standards to change. So what happens is if we end up drifting, we, we climb to the edge of the cliff and we lean back without staying connected. We do all of these things as if we're going to manipulate God. Say, God, see, I'm right here, God, but I'm doing it my way, God. And, and, but I'm still close enough that I think we're going to be okay, God. And God's like, that's not how this works. Remain in me, God says. And here we get into this really fuzzy understanding. Let me jump back to verse 6. Such branches, the branches that aren't remaining, the ones that are thrown away and withers, are thrown into the fire and burned. 
And it gives us this image, if you will, of punishment in hell. And I understand we have this visual that Scripture gives to us of what a literal hell would look like, of fire and of brimstone, of just torture and of pain. And whether that's real or not, I'm not going to get into that today. But here's what I know hell to be. If I remain in him, if I remain part of the vine, if I'm there, then I know God is there as well because God's not moving. But if I choose to not remain, then I'm choosing to step away from him. And here's my definition of hell. Wherever God's not. Quite simple. So wherever God is not is where hell is. And what that looks like, what that feels like, what that tastes like, what it smells like, I don't know. And I don't want to know. Because if God's not there, I shouldn't want to be there. If he's not in it, why do I want to be a part of it? So we can get confused about this, and the understanding becomes clear. We have to look to this physical visual of hell and think of it as punishment, and we only look that way because we've got the wrong perspective, and we view hell outside of the understanding of remaining, outside of covenant. We justify it. We try to make it make sense. It's not something that God does to us. It's something we choose. And I know that's hard for some. Well, Pastor, where's grace in all of this? Where, where does, where's, how does a loving God fit this? God loves us so much that he lets us decide. If, he, if we don't get to decide, then we've got to recognize there becomes this puppet nature in the relationship, and that's not real. So where the word if and remain becomes so important. Jesus implies us to remain, abide, stay here. But the if, the if reply implies that we have a choice. We get to decide. That we get to choose. I want to stay connected. I, I've seen what life looks like when I'm disconnected. I'm thankful that God lets me choose at times to figure things out and to recognize this is not what I want and receives me when I return. He loves me. And when we understand covenant, we begin to see what God's inviting us to be a part of. And we begin to realize that it's something that we shouldn't want to walk away from. And with this connection, with, with this remaining, we discover genuine, life-changing joy. Hope. And yeah, heaven comes with it. <laughs> I was asked once, if, if there wasn't a heaven, or if there wasn't a hell, would I still believe, would I still follow Jesus? The answer is yes. If my life is better. I, I'm thankful for the boundaries. I'm thankful for the things that he protects me from. I'm thankful for the issues that I don't have to deal with because of my faith. Do I miss out on the things of this world? Yes. Is that okay? It is with me. As a pastor, I deal with a lot of brokenness and problems, and that is a great joy. It is, it is in brokenness that we're able to share hope and healing. But much, most, if not all the brokenness that I deal with is all because of sin, because we've chosen not to remain. How much or how many of life's problems could be avoided if we would just remain? That's not to imply that life will be perfect. It's not to imply there's never going to be challenges. We live with other broken people. 
And not only do we have to navigate our own choices, we also have to navigate the implications that others' choices have upon our life. It's going to be this continuing navigating and swimming or working our way through the mud and the muck. But the one who remains is always faithful and will help us get there. Jesus continues in verse 11 of John 15, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. Do you like that? Jesus finds joy in us. And that your joy may be complete. That your joy may be fulfilled. Your joy may be made perfect. Not perfect in the sense that there's nothing wrong with it, but perfect in the sense that it's fulfilled its purpose. That your joy may abound. That may, it may be supplied liberally is what the Greek definition of the word complete means. The word complete that we see in John 15 is a word that hopefully is familiar to many of you. Pleroo. Pleuro is a word we talked about when we talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit, the wind filled the room, the wind pleuroed the room, the Spirit shows up completely. And John 15, 11 tells us through Jesus' words that your joy may be fulfilled completely. Philippians 4, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When we're doing what we should be doing, living the way we should be living, when we're trying to live a life that brings him glory, God meets all of our needs. It doesn't say he gives us all the things that we want. And I wonder if sometimes that's not for our own good. But he gives us all we need. And we see in Jesus' words this intersection of God's will and God's holiness. Where his Holy Spirit shows up in the lives of those that remain. We begin to see life differently and pursue the right things, things that bring God glory. Our lives become fruitful, and God starts to prune and to shape us so that we can become even more fruitful. And then it creates this, this, this pattern, if you will, this cycle of good in our life we can never achieve or find on our own. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, now... If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Here's this word, if again. If we're his children. If we share in his sufferings, if we remain, we become an heir of God. We get to share in the glory of Christ. And this is where we find blessing. We find blessing in relationships. We find blessing in the covenant with him. This theme of covenant, it's not one to simply be dismissed as some churchy word. It has some deep implications for our life. It's an invitation of redemption and forgiveness. It's an invitation to, to remain and to walk with him, to find fulfillment. It's an, it's an invitation to find purpose. But it begins with us choosing to walk the path. Just as God did for Abraham. He invites us today to sit at his table. To share a meal. Share a name. To embrace this opportunity to walk and to remain in him. In just a few moments, we're going to share in communion together. 
to be reminded that Jesus himself becomes the covenant, the fulfillment of all that God had promised. To be reminded that he walked a path for you and for me. He allowed his hands and his body to be cut for you and for me. It's so that we could then become children of God and share in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not a small thing. Just as he always has, he gives us a choice. Perhaps you are right where God wants you to be. You're growing, you, you hear him, you're walking with him, you have remained in him, and right now you, you just are hearing him and you're bringing, you're filled with joy and you're bringing God glory. And I just praise the Lord for those in my life that have modeled that for me. And I, and I praise the Lord for those in this church that are living that out. And, and we're going to be reminded today in communion of what that invitation looks like and what it has brought to our lives. But I also believe there's some that maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've leaned back a little bit too far. You've become disconnected. Or you've stopped remaining. And this is an invitation to come and to, to remain once again. To choose God. To choose Jesus. Perhaps this is all new to you. And this has all sounded like Greek. You don't understand a thing I've said. But I pray and I trust the Holy Spirit to work even in those moments. And maybe this is a new thing you're hearing. And God is convicting. The Holy Spirit is moving. And you're, just, you're wanting something more. We also look at, at communion as an invitation to, to understand God and, and to recognize what he's inviting us to be a part of. This is for, for those who are curious and those who want more and those who want to be reminded of God's grace in our lives. Regardless of your tradition, all are invited to participate. Just know that we do it to partake in the covenant, to remain in Jesus, to draw closer to him to bring him glory, that his joy may be found in us, that our joy may be complete. I invite you to stand with me. And, and I want to pray for us. And at the conclusion of my prayer, we invite you to come. We're going to start in the back, and you can come and receive the, the elements and return to your seats. Once everyone's received, then we'll share in communion together. And, and while you're coming, just be willing to ask God, What's the fruit in my life look like? Have I moved the goalposts? Have I, have I remained in you? And trust the Holy Spirit to gently and graciously, lovingly position us to where we need to be. Show us what might need to change. That we all could live in covenant with him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. for being a God who does what he said he would do. Thank you for loving us, even when, Lord, we were unlovable. Thank you, Lord, for pursuing us, even when perhaps we've chosen a different way. And Lord, as we participate in this reminder of this Last Supper, Through your own words, Lord, you tell us you become the covenant that God intended. You become the fulfillment, Lord, of all that God had promised. You, Lord, are the enmity that stood between Adam and Eve and Satan. And you're still doing the standing in between even today. For those that have drifted, Lord, reach your hand down and pull us back up. 
Those, Father, who have never heard you, Lord, I pray that you would just graciously continue to call people by name. Those who have remained, God, continue to strengthen their resolve. Remind them of the joy that they've brought and the glory, Lord, that we have the opportunity to give. As we share in this sacrament, Father, I pray that we don't miss out on what this invitation really is inviting us to, to walk with you and beside you and to be with you. Lord, be glorified, I pray, as we worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen. Reading out of Luke chapter 22, reading verse 19, that he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take today, we break and eat, and we're reminded what it is that God invites us to be a part of this morning. Verse 20, the verse we shared earlier, we see Jesus himself say in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. My blood is poured out for you. We drink and we decide to remain. Enjoy the covenant that God offers to us this morning. Father, thank you. This seems inadequate. It's all we have. Why, Lord, you would choose to want to commune and to find glory in someone such as me, as people like us, Lord, we're just left to not understand that. Today, God, may we learn to appreciate the depth of your love, to recognize what it is you invite us to be part of, and may we choose to remain in you. Thank you for being a God keeps his commitment, fulfills his covenant. May we be a people this morning that chooses the same. May we bring you glory. May we bear much fruit. May you find joy in us, your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go live life in covenant. See what difference it makes. I think you'll be amazed.